Anyway, we'll say good morning to y'all. We'll get started. I, again, I apologize for the delay. I had technical difficulties. I was up old dark early, but why don't you go to leave? Uh -huh. Thank you. Anyway, we're going to continue our journey through Revelation. Hopefully we can make a few more verses today. Get that up there. Um, pick up a little, where we, a little review from last time. So they get undiscombobulated here. And then um, we'll continue on to about Revelation 4 on and just see some other wonderful things. I mean, I don't know about you all, but I sure did learn a lot myself just from going through this book. Some of the things that are in here are just absolutely amazing and phenomenal. And most everyone, you know, we're going to Revelation. Everyone wants to know the end times. It's not about the end times. It's about now. It's today. It's here. It's what, what we're having to live for. And we're going to see that thing because he says those things which are now. Anyway, grab your Bible, turn into Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to read through it real fast and then pick up where we basically left off and then some. Still trying to get undiscombobulated here. And then um, we will continue our journey through the book so that I can get my, my spot. Okay, Revelation chapter 1. We're going to read it, open in prayer, and continue on. And also along the way, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, by all means, just please send them to me. But let's get started. Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servant things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things which he saw. Blessed is he which readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits, which are before his throne. Verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and have made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever. And ever. Oh, you guys forgot. Oh, amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. We'll have another chance. And they also which pierced him. And all the kindred of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, thee. Almighty, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom of patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps, or waist, loins, with the golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in the furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. 
Verse 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first, I am the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And have the keys of hell and of death. That was good. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Rest of the book. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand. The seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, Lord, we just praise thee and thank thee, Lord, that you are God, and that, Lord, you'll bring all things to pass, and that your word is true, and that you are faithful. Lord, you give us these things to show us your promises are true. All the warnings you've ever given in the past, Lord, you promised to redeem us, you promised to save us, to heal us, to prosper us, Lord, to guide us, and Lord, to love us. And for this, we thank you for this, Lord. For you are great, and we too would sing praises and honor to your name, for you are great. And we thank you now in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, as we saw last time, we start taking a look through this book. There is so much to see and do and, and through Revelation. As we're going to guide through it, we're going to look at it again, try to look at four different things. We're going to see the places, the, the person who this message is, is written to. We're going to see the purpose of the message. Why? Why? Why do we even have it? Why is the book, write the Revelation here? And then we're going to see, it's all about one thing. This is a book about Jesus. It is always about Jesus. It's going to be from Jesus from the beginning to the very end. To when the Spirit and the Bride say, come, and whosoever will, let him come. But as we saw last week, we we're trying to go through the intro of it, and there was just lack of, due to lack of time, really hard to cover a book of this volume and vastness of the times and the ages that it covers. But we did see, as soon as I find my notes from last week, there we go. We, we, were, we were looking, you know, we saw some of the key words. We're going to see words mentioned over and over and over again. Tree of life. We're going to be Satan. We're going to see the beast. We're going to see the living creatures. We see the throne. We're going to see earthquakes. There's just so many different words. We're going to see hell. We saw Hades. We saw how the devil's going to be mentioned. And something ironic is Satan's mentioned all the time. Anybody take a wild guess how many times his name's happened to be mentioned in Revelation? I bet you could probably never guess. Pick a number. That's God's number. Thirteen. Thirteen is always rebellion. Thirteen in, in Bible. And I'm going to try to take a sidetrack, do some numerics, but this isn't what the book is about, because you can get lost in numerics. Numerics are just, you know, in fantasy. It's like trying all the ten beasts of the toes on the toes and who's going to be what and what's coming. And we all want to know the future. But God said sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. We just need to get through today. But as we saw through last week, you know, trying to, trying to get through, and we're going to see what it uh, prophesied, the unique verse, the symbolism. That, remember, we're going to see behold, like, as, numerous times in statement. You have to be very careful when you're reading Revelation, because sometimes you'll run off with a doctrine, but it was like as. It's a symbolic term of trying to comprehend the incomprehensible. How do you explain what you can't describe? Well, that's what we see in Revelation. So we see the angels. We're going to see angels in and out of Revelation. Just every verse, because they are, now are they not ministering spirits sent forth, as Hebrews tells us? But as we go today, what I want to do is just, I'm going to pick up a little bit and try to, I don't think I'm going to get through this chapter today, but let's take a, just a quick little whirlwind tour. I want to run you a chapter by chapter of this book. As we saw chapter 1 up, up to the, through the churches, 1 is God revealing himself. He's telling us, we're in the very beginning, the revelation of Jesus, which God gave on him. Remember we saw last week when Jesus came, how John said, I came not to, or in John, I came not to do my will, but the Father that sent me. The words I speak unto you, that all the Father, we see God is still giving him. And Jesus still is 
100% obedient. He was obedient when he was in that garden, and he said, not my will, but thine be done. But Father, if it's possible, please, I don't want to do this. But nevertheless, I will. And that's what we had to find. And we're going to see Jesus is still doing this, except now he's on the receiving end of the cross. But in chapter 1, we have all the introductions. We know the churches, chapter 2, chapter 3, is the message to the seven churches. And, and as we go through Revelation, there's so many ways to interpret this. A lot of people interpret it as time. Each church is a segment of time. And that does fit, except time is still continuing. So to try to shoehorn that. But another type. Another thing we see in the churches, which is a very good analogy, is the state of where the churches are today. Church of Ephesus, numero uno, lost their first love. Baptist without heart. They, man, work, 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 but we forget about Jesus. And we'll see all the other churches till finally we get to Laodicea. It's like these modern churches we have now. God isn't in the church anymore. Oh, they're singing praises and they're dancing and they're hallelujah and they're worshiping Jesus. But Jesus is standing outside the church. He's not even in the parking lot. These churches are so far removed as modern, what we call worship, worship leaders, worship teams. Go to heaven, you want to see worship. I'll show you how. But we see, then when finally, those are the things that are now. He's telling John to write the things that saw, what you see, what are now. These are happening now in the churches. Then by chapter 4, now we go forward. And looking through Revelation, which is, I'm still having it. I, I literally, every time I read Revelation and start trying to figure something out, I remember what Paul said, Behold, we look through a glass darkly. It's like looking through a Coke bottle. You think you're seeing what you see, but you're just not quite sure. But see, God just keeps giving you a picture and it's unfolding. And Revelation is literally snapshots. We're going to keep seeing a snapshot backs up, snapshot backs up, intermission. But they all follow the opening line. And it roughly follows the pattern of Revelation chapter 6. But let me back off on 4. Chapter 4, we see that is where what's implied the rapture. And we'll look at that when the time comes, when it comes up hither. When the verse in verse 1 says, come up hither. That means a violent snatching. And at the same time, it's used when Jesus coming off the cross. When they said, come up, come hither. God took them up. God brought them up to heaven. Same terms are used for the, for the ascending of Jesus going to heaven. Same with the church. So it's implied we're going to be here in heaven. And after this, the church is mentioned no more. So we are now gone in the twinkling of an eye. In a, just like that. So to verse 5, we start seeing now the setup. This is the glory of the Lamb. The Lamb is being offered now. We're seeing at the right hand, we see a Lamb with seven horns taking the book. And then we see the statement, who can open it? Nobody. Absolutely no one. Only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus can redeem us. Only He can open this book. So verse 5, we see the Lord being set up for this kingdom to receive Him. Now, verse 6 is where the fun begins. And I hate to call it fun because it's the wrath. Remember, they start out at the end of verse 6, hide us from the faith of the wrath of the Lamb. But, <coughs> excuse me. but this is where we start to see Daniel's 70th week come in, when we follow the timeline. Because remember when God said in Romans and Paul, that God has not given up on Israel. God didn't, God didn't cast them away. Israel's just put off the time until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled, which will come all the way until when the Antichrist stands in that temple. But there's a lot going on. In the meantime, the Bible tells us to occupy till he comes. Jesus said the kingdom of God is as a man who went about, and he gave his servants, prophesied. And then we had the parable of talents. We have all these parables of what to do right now, why we're waiting for this time to come. But in verse 6, we see he starts opening the seals. In the 7, the, we have the seals, we have the trumpets, and then we have the bowls. Basically, 21 judgments in all, or 369. I mean, nine judgments in all. There's three sets of sevens. But we start with seeing the first seal. We see the horses. We call it the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You've heard that term. And so that, that we start seeing that introduction. That's like an overview cast of Revelation. If you almost take that, how it describes it from the beginning to the end, the, how they come in by peace, the war, the war, then the earth being destroyed, and finally the, the, earth, the heavens anew. We pick it up after we, we have a little bit of a, I don't know, kind of an intermission as we go through chapter 6, between the 6th and the 7th seal, and chapter 7, 
we start getting the, the ceiling of the 12,000. We see that the new evangelical God's clock is now turned back to Israel, and the clock is ticking. And we have the 70th week of Daniel, a.k.a. seven years of tribulation. So through that, we're going to see the, the in chapter 7, we see the, the saved are being redeemed. Then we see the blood-washed multitude. The first time we're seeing souls in front of the altar, and we'll see that a couple other times. Then as we keep going on to chapter 8, we start seeing now it's the last of the seventh seal. The way the revelation works is Jesus opens the seals. Boom, 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 boom. When he opens the seven seals, it starts another chain of events. Now we have the seven trumpets. One, two, three, four, five. When the seventh one sounds, opens another chain of events. Now it becomes the wrath of God. First we're dealing with the wrath of Christ. Now we have the full wrath of God. Everything we read in the Old Testament, all the Armageddon, all the... Everything we read from the prophets till now are being fulfilled in those last chapters. As We'll get there. We'll see. So in chapter um, 7, we start seeing the seal. By chapter 8, we have the seven seal is being done. Now we start the trumpets. We, we go through four trumpets, and then it stops for a minute. And we have a little bit of break. And the angel announces the woes. By, Re- by Revelation chapter 9, we're starting into the, the trumpets are really letting letting loose. By chapter nine, verse one, we start seeing the, the have the key to the bottomless pit. And this is where the locusts come up. And now the pain is really gonna be evident. Before most of these judgments were on the earth, water being bad, sun being affected, a lot of the environments being affected, but the wars and the fightings are going on. So men are dying by the billions right now. By the time this tribulation is done, it's, it's estimated through various sources, well over half the population. So whatever it is at the time Revelation starts, we know in about three years, literally billions of people are going to die through numerous various means, all because they didn't accept Christ. Every one of them has a choice. And we'll see in Revelation as we go, they all have choices. It starts with the churches. Choose, choose, choose. Choose ye. Come ye. Repent, 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 repent. Over and over again. Finally, as we even go through heaven, it takes an angel. Later on in Revelation, it's an angel that has to announce because there's no one left to pro- proclaim the gospel. We'll see later to the two um, witnesses. But again, as we go on through chapter 9 now, we have the seven trumpets going off. We have the first trumpet, second trumpet. Then we have a little break. By um, chapter 10, it's kind of one of those pullbacks. It's almost like it's a poor analogy, but it's almost like Revelation is like a three-winged circus in a way. You're watching all this going on, but at the same time, all this is going on. At the same time, all this is going on. And Paul, that's why you just keep saying, John, I looked, I beheld, and after these things, and after these things, and after these things, he keeps seeing visions. And trying to piece it together, well, that's the hard part, because I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. But... As we start digging in here, we'll, we'll just learn this all together as we go. So we see we have a little bit of break by chapter 10. We had a book and the witnesses coming online. And then the Bible tells us there's a woe coming, another woe. By the time we get through the end of chapter 10, going into 11, and after the witnesses take heat, then we get into chapter 12, another break in intermission. It where God reflects back on Israel. So it gives us a recap on Israel and the woman and the child and the son and the woman seeing started. We will see that. That is the actual prophecy out of Genesis in Revelation chapter 12. And by chapter 13, now we have the interval, the seas coming on, the, the dragons comes on the scene, the beast now in Revelation 13, now it's turning back to what's happening on earth. When we see the beast of the Antichrist, he's going to rise. And we're going to, there's just more than I can get into now, but need to say, we see in Revelation 13, and I stood at sand, and I saw a beast rise up. And all his power is coming from the devil as we see that through 13. And in chapter 14, after another little interlude of break, we start seeing that the lamb is on mount. We see the three angel messengers. We see the, the that tells us we're blessing the dead. And then we see the harvest coming the vintage the angels ripening in the sickle and the harvest is coming by the time we finally get to chapter 15 and it starts out see i saw another sign see again and again he's seen so many things the hard part of revelation is as we're looking down on it is trying to pick up the pieces but 
is literally, if you take Revelation chapter 6 and just follow those seals, it literally, that's almost like just a reader condensed version or the index of the whole entire story, all the way until the sun and moon are darkened. But it's trying to fit those pieces in the middle. That's what takes uh, wisdom. Anyway, by the time we get to chapter 16, now he's measuring the temple. We're going to see before the last judgments finally start coming up. And literally, this is, for lack of a better word, when the term is all hell breaks loose. From here on, the full wrath of God is coming upon the earth. And it's just one after the other. They want global warming. The heat of the sun will be seven days. They want pollution. You can't even drink the water so bad it'll kill you. You want the trees and hooks? There will be no trees. They're all burned. It is just because man does not want God in their life. And God says, okay, now you don't get me in your life. There's a whole, as we follow the devil, when he comes in his little holy trinity trying to make kumbaya on earth and make everybody live happily ever after, and we'll see the three, the beast, the false prophet, and the antichrist. They're all in there. They're all as one. Three frogs come out of their mouth all saying the same thing. They become the one heart. They all give their mind power to the beast. Because what does the devil want more than anything in this world? You know what he wants more than anything? Well, we all, he wants your soul. Now he doesn't want your soul. He wants you to bow down and worship him because he wants to feel like God. He thinks he's got power. He thinks he's somebody. And he put that little ump. If you remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? Remember when Jesus was tempted? The devil took him around and, took him and he, then he took him up real high and he said, all these things I will give you if you just worship me. Well, later on, we're going to see where Jesus, all the kingdoms are given to Jesus. Jesus didn't take the shortcut. Jesus took the long way through the cross for you and me. And so as we finally conclude, we get into 1670, and we're going to see the, the, the judgment of Babylon, which is, again, another back set. Because a lot of this is going on at the same time. But when he starts judging Babylon, and we see the religious judge, we see the woman on the, riding the beast, you know, the commercialism of Babylon is really the, the worldly system. We, sometimes we call it Egypt. We just, as Christians, we call it the world. All the world system, the monetary, the pride, the gain, and there's a whole list of things that they lust for, their soul desires after. And then we're going to see it's nothing new. Then we see the religious Babylon, basically the Catholic Church, many other denominations are literally going to be destroyed. And so that's kind of a whirlwind until we finally, we make it all the way down to 19 and Babylon being destroyed. Jesus is now taking over the earth. We see he's coming with the sword, his eyes of the flame of fire in verse 12. Then we get to chapter 20. Now things changes. Now we start going to enter into the millennial end. The judgment comes. Devil's bound for a thousand years. The Mary's Supper of the Lamb's taking place. And we're going to enter. This is where most people try to ascribe the Old Testament and, and um, say that God gave up on Israel. And that covenant theology, if you ever hear that term, Run from it. It comes from hell. Because God never gave up on Israel, ever. God never will, and he's never going to. Those promises are just so... You go through Genesis all the way, from the promises to Abraham. Wherever the soul of thy foot has thread is the promise to Abraham, the land. has never been delivered to this day. David came really close. When David expanded the kingdom all the way to the Euphrates, but never quite made it to the Nile River. The new kingdom, when it comes, it's going to go from the Nile to the Euphrates. All of that's God's promised land. Always will be. But see, they gave up on Jesus. When he, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. When we're on the 70th week, when Jesus rode into town, if you knew the 69 weeks of Daniel, the prophecies that were given to Daniel, and in the course of time, we'll look through some of those. We will see that he actually came into town riding a mule, riding a fowl, riding an ass, and when Zechariah said, Behold, thy king cometh. The Bible says he came to the temple. The Bible says he walked up to the temple. He looked around, and he left. That was the fulfillment right there. They came to his own. They didn't even receive him. They didn't want him. Why? Because they wanted the kingdom for themselves. The devil wanted everything himself, and that's what we do. We all want to take shortcuts and and. Mm -mm, through the Bible. But anyway, we finally end with Revelation 22. Times no more. There's no more pain. Guys, you guys hear me on that one? There's no more pain. I mean, I wake up today with pain. Not bad. Today was a good day. 
I'm sure some of you wake up with some pain. It hurts. No more sorrow, man. You ever get yeah, your kids breaking your heart? Just ugh, too much money to lend you a check. I mean, just soon and very soon. Soon and very soon. But that's kind of just a quick, real summary overall of the verses. And now we're going to try to go down them one at a time. So if you will, let's take our outline and let's get us started. Revelation chapter 1, I'll pick it up in verse 4. And I, John, I added the word. See that? The Bible says, if any man adds to the word of the book, I added the word I. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come. I still like this verse. You know, as I'm reading up that phrase, again, I'm going to slide off to some numerics if time permits us, just to give you a quick glimpse of how it works. But see, four times that verse is mentioned in, in, in the scriptures. They kept saying he was, but then we have synonymous with it, Alpha Omega, the first and the last. So it's like he's using Old Testament, a was, sort of a New Testament. But either way, God inhabits eternity. God takes all time. Excuse me a second here. Let me open up one thingy that I lost on my screen. There it is. Trying to get my, where I'm synced with you guys. So give me one puzzle second. I do apologize. Computer's never out, thank you. But see, he writes this to the seven churches. And there we go. We'll start with the seven. We'll see who the seven are in, in, in the course of a couple of weeks in time. We're going we're gonna to slide off through them. And start seeing, but he writes to seven churches. And again, this is one of the first time we start seeing the number seven. And we are going to see the number seven again and again and again and again and again and again. So many times so that it's almost unreal. But seven is God's complete number. See, because we know that we know for a fact there's more than seven churches. See, if you look at this little map, we, we know all of them, but we, there's all kinds. There's Colossi there, later. Um, Ephesus. So a lot of churches, when we go to Acts, they're not listed here. But why would God say seven, not eight, not ten, not twenty? Why not just one? Because it's, again, it's a symbolic of the fullness of the completion of God's. And um, so he starts, this is the first time we start seeing seven. And after this, we're just going to see seven again. How many stars in his hand? Seven. How many churches? Seven. How many lampstands? Seven. How many bowls? Seven. How many seals? Seven. That's not an accident. Sometimes we read through it so much so that we just forget that it's God and his intelligent wisdom, God's great graces, understanding. Now, here's one of the sayings that we have. We look in our, our book as we start with seven and, and number one, the places in which he's measured them. We'll see the number of seven churches in it, but what does he say to each and every church as we go there? He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. See, the Spirit's talking to the church, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in our midst. We, as, when we go back in John, when he starts telling us what the Holy Spirit's job is, what he's going to do, he's going to judge the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. Those are always signs of a Spirit-filled church. Sin is a problem. Righteousness, be ye holy for I am holy. Judgment to come. Why? Because the future's coming. God's going to judge us now. He'll judge us later, sometimes. Sometimes in his love, he does it. We all know we've all been chasing. Remember that saying? Who's who? Um, Hebrews. Whomso, who the Lord loveth, them he chasteneth, and every son he receiveth, he scourgeth. Wow! Rod reproof. Boy, God hits us with a rod and he gives us some reproof from his word. But we're going to see it starts with these seven churches, which is just symbolic of all the churches of all the time. Because as we read those, those verses, all the way through the 22, the last church later to see, he that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the churches. And so as we, maybe I'll just start with that seven for one second. God in his infinite, infinite wisdom and his might and his power, which is far more we can comprehend. When we start back in Genesis, he sets the law in motion of all the days. First thing, what do we have? We have a week. How long's a week? That's simple. Seven days. God took six days of creation, rested the seventh. What comes on the eighth? Eighth is new. Starts in the beginning. Number of Jesus. 
But as we go through, if we take this number seven and see that as God's completion, God's fullness, and not only see what happens is we can look at the surface of this book, and we're going to see seven bowls and seven trumpets and seven angels. But a lot of times you start looking at statements. And many, many times, how, how do we know the fruit of the Spirit? Count them. How do we know that out, out of the heart proceeds what? Murders, ending, blasphemy, fornication, it's a whole list. How many? Thirteen. Why? We always get rebellion tied to 13. Time and time again, any disobedience in rebellion? In fact, if you take, throw that one out there, Genesis 13, 13. That was the year the first the kings rebelled. But God in his infinite wisdom just takes this number and begins to run with it. And I'm going to just give you a real fast grade. I'm going to read off so much stuff here just to show you how many sevens are in the Bible that you didn't pay attention to. And they all have spirits. But one I'd like you to look at. One I'd like to do. Here's one for you. Jeff, remember when Jesus said, I am? Start counting. I am what? Anybody got an answer? I am. Come on, class. Bread of life. Here's one. I am truth. There's two. I'm the way, the truth, the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Right? Jesus gave all these I am. He gave seven of them. Strange coincidence. Okay. But turn into your Bibles to Genesis 29. Remember when uh, Jacob had to work? He was working with his wives, trying to get a, let's see, Genesis 29 and verse uh, 20. We'll take it through 20, 20. No, I got to get that myself. Genesis 29. Yeah. All right, we'll pick it up at verse 20. See, he's, uh, he's dealing with, Le- with, with Laban. He, got, he just got tricked. Maybe tell her that Leah was tender-eyed in verse 19. Rachel was beautiful. And Jacob loved Rachel, and he will serve seven years, he says in verse 18. But in verse 20, and Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days for love. Boy, you ever love something so much time? Just there is no time. You just love doing it. Well, that's how much you, that's how much Christ loved the church. Verse 21. And, and Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife. For my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And labor gathered all the men, verse 22, but pick it up down in um, verse 26. And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Yeah, right. Verse 27, fulfill her week. And give thee uh, this also for the services which thou hast served me yet seven other years. Now I take you there to show you because what's the Bible? The week, the seventieth week of Daniel, one week, seven years. The Bible I always interpret the Bible. You can, you can. There's other ways that we'll shoot that when it shows you the timeline. But just want to show you that. But we got seven with seven. We got the seven years of plenty and the famine. Remember the story with Pharaoh and and Joseph in Egypt. Seven years of each. Samson got married for seven days. Had a marriage feast. He had seven locks of his hair. Samson had seven locks. There were seven ways he, when he told Deliah how to cripple my power. There were seven sons of Jesse. Eighth one is David. Isn't that an amazing fact how that would come out to pass? Job had seven sons. Remember going around Jericho? How many times did they walk around Jericho? Seven times. And then what? What did they do on the seventh day? Go seven more times. Do you think this is an accident? These sevens? I'm I got about a hundred more I can go to, but I don't want to. There's just too many. Remember the Pharisees and their seven brothers and seven men and married seven times, and how many times they're going to be wiping the resurrection? Seven, 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 seven. Seven days of the week. We have seven feasts given to us. Seven holy feasts. Just on and on and on. Now that's on the surface. Now I'll take you to a real small little detour. If you go to Mark, you go to Mark chapter 16. But in Mark is a phenomenal aspect of where numerics came in. What happens in the Bible is in the Greek and both the Hebrew, A, I can just relate it to us because I'm not, but alpha one, two, two. everything is a letter for A, one, B, two, C, three, four, three. Well, Hebrews do it like that. And so do the Greeks. So for every word, there's a numeric value of every single word in the Bible. Every single word. Every word has a numeric value. I don't know about the Aramaic though. I didn't check that one. But as we start going through this, we see in the book of Mark, 
what's called the last 12 books of Mark. And, and if you look in any of your Bibles, some of you probably got some kind of little side note there on the last book of Mark telling you that the ancient manuscripts just don't exist. Well, I got one word for that psychological. It's called phooey, baloney. Don't believe it. It's a lie. The last 12 verses of Mark have such this phenomenal feature about them that I'm not even, the only reason I'm going to tell you it is just to show you the first and the last. The first Mark, in the very beginning of Mark, the first verses, the first words of the first eight verses are exactly 77. They come out 70, 77, 11, 7, and it just keeps dividing. 77 vocabulary words that are used within that phrase, exactly 21. That's just, that starts Mark. That just shows you what I always take of this is God put his little lock on his Bible so that when man comes along and says the NIV, the SIB, the ADB, and any other B is better, they're lying. See, God won't let people tamper with the word because God said in the psalm, my word is above my name, above my name. But at the name of Jesus, it takes the name of God to grant our salvation. But at the end of Mark, now I'm just going to fly this real fast. If you have more questions, bring it up later. But I, all I want to show you as we set this tone, as we go through Revelation, because it's all about the Old Testament, not the New. It's all about the Old. Now, what we're going to find at these last 12 verses of Mark, we have 175 words, 7 to 25. 98 different words, which are, there's different words in these last sayings that they say don't exist in our Bible, should not be there. The more modern manuscripts that are hip and up to date, they know what God has to say. Oh, yeah, right. 98 words. Again, a derivative of 7. Everything's in F7. There's 84 words that are found before in Mark. and We recycled words, a derivative of 7. 14, there's 14 words out of this verse that are only found in the book of Mark, in this particular verse. <laughs> 14, go figure. There's 42 were found when the Lord's talking. When we take the Lord's, what he's addressing here in Mark, the four verses, same thing. 42, division of seven. Total word for them, there's 133 words to the passage, derivative of seven. There's 21 of occur more than once. Derivative of seven. Here's one for you, and I'll stop here. Add them all up. I'll add up every word from these 12 verses, and it comes out to 1,356. 1, 1, Guess what? <laughs> A derivative of seven. Now, it just goes on and on, and I could just sit here almost all day long and just take these verses, and seven goes forward, backwards, sideways, cross, and it spells the cross, and it says Jesus was here. The last verses in Mark stay there. And the exact same thing, and they tell you that in 1 John 5, 15 about the Trinity. Oh, all the other Bibles, they don't have this. Right. You can do the same thing. 7, 7, 7, 7, 7, 7, 7, 7, 7. God locked this book. God's word, you can count this Bible as true. It is true. It always will be true. Now, not just for what's underlying. I said, that's like peeking under and leaving, looking and seeing what the foundation holding this book up. But God's word is the powerful. God's word is what has all these derivatives. So I just, just a quick little summary, because as we go through Revelation, we're going to have to slide in and out of numerics so many times. There's so many numbers that have so much power and significance. Three, God, Trinity, it's complete. Eight, always Jesus, always Jesus. You know, when you used to take out Jesus' name and spell Jesus, that's another interesting one. It's, the Christ comes out by eights. Jesus comes out by eight. Messiah comes out by eight. All these names of Jesus, all are divisible by eight. Go figure. Now, you take the devil, everything that fool touches, got 13 tied to it. And I'll show you that. We'll see it in time. His main mentioned 13 times, 13 times he's done, 13, or his derivative of 13. Just over and over. Again, but not every time. See, if we try to take this and look for now we're getting lost in the weeds and you're straining at gnats and we're missing the point that the book is about Jesus. But back to Revelation 1. Just a little digress on uh, some numerics there because we're going to see them. We're just going to have to keep going through them again and again. You can't run from them. The Bible's full of them. Even 144,000. Even that's in there twice. I'll let Pastor find the second time it's mentioned. Okay. So now we're going to see, we saw these places. It's going to the church, the seven churches. 
Now we're going to see the person who it comes from. Let's see what I got next. Yep. <coughs> it comes from God. One eight. Revelation one eight. Revelation four eight tells us to him who was and he is and he is to come. You know, there's not a time that God doesn't know. God, we're going to see back in Isaiah in time where God says, I tell the future just like it's yesterday. I'll tell you about tomorrow as it already happened. Because there is no time with God. We had this linear concept that we're in here. we got to look at our watches and i got, you know, how many more minutes and we got to be. But not God. And I, I don't understand. I can't even begin to comprehend how can God can be everywhere at all the same time. But he is. See, so we know it comes from them. Where else come? The seven spirits. If you look at verse 4. And from the seven spirits. And again, there's that seven again, which started us on our little thing. But seven's completeness. Who are these seven spirits? Now, I've read some strange things. But I say it's the Holy Spirit. Why? Because as we keep looking, as we look up some of these verses, we're going to see. That it is before the Spirit. Later we're going to see Jesus has a set of spirits. Back in, in Revelation chapter 5, if you look. Turn your Bible to five, Revelation 5. In verse 6. And behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. Well, we know who that is. No explanation required, huh? Behold, the Lamb of God. But having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Well, if these are the seven spirits of God, know the spirits of God, that's 14 already. How many spirits are there? Now, the Bible says there's one Lord, one faith, one spirit. Only one. But see, it's shown us it's the seven spirits which are before his throne. And later we can see these spirits, their eyes go all to and fro. God sees all. He sees everything. He knows everything. He does everything. So we're going to see that four times he writes that he tells us about the spirit, the spirits of God. And so that's who the message comes from. What does the Bible tell us in Timothy? Remember Timothy 3.16? For all scripture is given by inspiration. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word inspired is the very same thing God did to Adam when Adam sinned. He breathed in him life. That's why this Bible has life. That's why when you read these words, you want to read them. And they just, you read things and you see things you never said before. You ever get that out of a book? I didn't even got that out of a dictionary. Every time I read it, the words, it means exactly the same thing. Every time. But the Bible, every time I read it, it's the words that mean something else. I mean, they mean. It's always different. You can never outread your Bible, ever. I mean, people that read it over and 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 over again. You cannot read your Bible. And see, that's what the Bible's telling us to hear. And I heard a voice saying right at the end of um, Revelation 14, 13 on your list. He says, and I heard a voice from heaven. Again, a voice, what? The words, the voice. What do you do with these voices? Write them down. Right? Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. Well, that sure doesn't sound like a blessing, does it? But it is, because we cease from our labors. But what I want to see there, look at that, die in the Lord. Look at the rest of the verse, 14, 13. Yea, saith the Spirit. Well, I didn't know the Spirit did much talking. Well, he does pop up from time to time. Remember in the book of Acts when he says, separate me ball and partners? The Spirit said. See, occasionally the Spirit talks. And he says a few things, but most of the time, the Spirit is to point us to Jesus. Tell us about Jesus. That's all the Spirit's about. But the power, the majesty, the awe is all in the Spirit of God. So even when he says these seven spirits were before his throne, that's where they are. They're, they're, God knows where they are. They're always with him. But see, the message comes from God. Now we see the message, this book comes from the Holy Spirit because it's inspired by God. It is inspired. It absolutely is inspired. In fact, I don't know, let me go to rabbit trail. If I can, top of my head, if I can remember this one. I would like a song, the Psalm 33, 6, where he talks about breathing. If I can get there. If not, we're going to see that this book also comes from Jesus. 
and boys that come from him. I mean, every time he speaks, every word that comes out of Jesus' mouth. Uh, 33. I don't know if I found it here. 33.6 behind him, according to thy wish. God, she, no, I'm sorry. Oh, verse 4. Psalm, 30, Psalm 33, verse, I'm going to pick it up at 3. My words shall be of the uprightness of my heart, and my lips shall utter knowledge clearly. The Spirit of God hath made me. Any question about that one? Verse 4. The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. That's the same word used in Timothy for the very word of God. The push, the breath of God brings life. And that's what he did to Adam. So we see, now in verse 5, we're going to see it comes from Jesus. It comes from Jesus. I mean, everything comes from Jesus. Everything comes from Jesus. There we see lamb. I like this picture. It kind of describes it well. You got the Lord. He's the lion. He's the lamb. He's got the horns here. Through him. And you got the lights of the Spirit standing there. But the word comes from Jesus. In verse 5, we pick it up. And from Jesus, who is a faithful witness. Wow. Does that say a lot? Has Jesus ever let any of you down? Can any of you in your time of Christian life walking on those, can you think where Jesus didn't come through? Oh, we did. We thought it. But what happens when time passes by and we find out we were wrong and he was right? All we had to do is wait. Wait on the Lord, I say. Fret not because of evil doers. Don't worry about what's going on around you. But wait, I say, on the Lord. So this message came from Jesus. And we're going to see that he was, the Bible tells us he's the first begotten. He's a faithful witness, which means he's the prophet. He's true. Everything he says is true. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's faithful. Jesus says it. You can count on it. But he's also, and the first begotten of the dead. Wow. Is that ever saying something? Huh? First from the dead. You know, there's so many people go crazy with this verse. So many. Turn into Psalm, Psalms 89. We're going to show you because, again, it takes me a little bit from the beginning, but in time, we're just going to be going to Old Testament after Old Testament after Old Testament, after Old Testament verses to show you where all this stuff ties together. But in uh, Psalm 89, we're going to see one of the promises God starts making. We start seeing glimpses as we look back in time. We're going to see God was always there. It was, he always was. Let's see, so pick it up in Psalm 89. Oh, there's so much good here. We don't want 24, 23, but my faithfulness, my... This, this is just a beautiful psalm because it's, it's literally in and out of, of the millennial reign, the reigns of Christ. But in 24, but my faithfulness and my mercy, Psalm 89, 24, but of my mercy, but of my faithfulness, excuse me, and my mercy shall be with him. Who? Take a guess. And my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand also in the sea and his right hand in the rivers. God's given him power. And he shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, and a rock of my salvation. And look at verse 27. And I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore. This is God talking about what's going to happen with Jesus. This is their relationship in heaven. It's like a conversation. God's telling us what he's going to do. And then we have the book of Revelation. But this is a psalm. This is thousands and thousands of years beforehand. But we see that. And he gives along and comes all the way down just more of his covenant and the stripes. But see, that's how we know it comes in Jesus. Turn to Romans 8.29. We're going to look at that one too. Because it's the promises. It's nothing new. Now, this is, isn't uh, Old Testament. We're going to see more and more. But it's just, it describes the firstborn. Because you have to know your doctrine. Because the Mormons will come out here and tell you some gibberish about Jesus. And, and the Jehovah Witnesses, they don't even know what they're talking about. They are so confused. But they love taking, we'll look at Colossians. They love taking that verse and twist you up with a pretzel. Uh, I lost myself. Where am I going? Romans. Chapter 8, 29. 
Verse 29. Well, we know the verse before that. Verse 28. Huh? Everybody like to quote 28? And we know that all things work together for good. Oh, we like that verse. We know all things work together for good to them that love God. But see, there's a catch. You've got to love God. And you well, I love God. Yeah, really? Are you doing His commandments? What's the first commandment? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. To them that are called according to the purpose. Now, verse 29. For whom He did foreknow, there's God knowing the future. That was and art and is to come. Did also predestinate. So the future to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And again, this doesn't mean the first physically born. It is the first in place of significance. He started it all. It all follows after him. It all comes after Jesus. But we see the Old Testament told us this. There's numerous places, and even Psalm 2, uh, about kiss the Son lest he be wrath. Corinthians tells us about the resurrection, but look at Colossians 1.18. I just want to show you that one because this is a Jehovah's Witnesses' favorite pet verse. And they twist up any young Christian that doesn't know, what, know their Bible. Verse 18. Well, verse 17 almost starts out there. I mean, we always keep going. Go back to verse 15. I mean, I'll back up. Verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God? The firstborn of every creature. What's an image? The image is an exact light. It's, you take a mirror, hold it up. There, that mirror reveals absolutely every single thing that, that image, the real image is. That's Jesus. Exact verbatim carbon copy of God. For by him were all things created. By who? God? Well, we're talking about Jesus here. That are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and visible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. That's pretty simple, huh? Now, down by Colossians, verse 18, 118. And he is the head. He's the head of the body. The church. There you go. You want to know the body, Christ, church? Simple. Bible tells you right there. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, they try to confuse it in so many ways. But who was the first one to come back from the dead? Oh, well, we can go back to Elijah. We can say in Elijah rode the Shunammite woman. She came from the dead. What about them dry bones? There'd be a whole bunch of them. They came back from the dead. There's a few resurrections back then. But they all died later. Who didn't die? Jesus. It looks like my time is up, and we're going to have to cut it just a pinch short. I do apologize. Never even made it through the first thing. But we'll pick it up a little bit more later as we go. But we just, you need to see, it's all about him. It's him. It's Jesus. This book is about him. And I apologize for cutting it short. Look, I need five more minutes. But we don't have it. That angel hasn't raised his hand and said, time shall be no more yet. So the clock says, we got to go. Um, I'm going to close in prayer. Again, I'm, any questions or concerns? My box is there. If you have any questions, write them in there. Put them down. I'm glad to answer them. Chit-chat. But if you don't know the Lord, if some of us, we come here and we're going to start seeing this stuff and hearing this stuff, and you might have to think your own self. You know, the Bible tells us if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The Bible says, know ye not your own self if you're in Christ. Know your own self. See, it's not up to us to come by. Oh, let's see, take a look. No, you need to know your own heart. And there's never come a time. See, Revelation is going to be working against you. Right now, it's a blessing. Blessed are they that heareth. Let's close. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you.